Hope you still have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to actually look and look closer at a following passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So while you're finding 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to review a few things. Over, just slightly over a year ago now, the leadership team began to meet together and to pray together to determine what we believe God was calling us to do and to be as a church. We were trying to make sure that we heard clearly from God what His purpose for this congregation was, what His mission for us, and to make sure that we had a vision of God's plans for us. And there were several parts to the process. We studied God's redemptive work in the world. We wanted to make sure we understood the gospel, that we understood the, 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 the truth that God had placed us here for a reason and for a purpose. We looked at the church. We looked, first of all, at the community. We did demographic studies. We walked up and down the street. Many of us carried on conversations with the neighbors over there in the West End. We wanted to know who lives there, what their needs were as they saw them. We wanted to know what else is taking place in the community. And then we kind of turned our eyes inward and we looked at the church. We looked at statistics. Don't you love statistics? We looked at numbers and attendance and giving and participation in different types and aspects of ministry. Uh, we looked at membership, who God has brought here and what are the gifts that he has given to us. And one of the questions that we kept going around and kind of refining was how do we define ourselves? How would we characterize ourselves as legitimately as we can? Uh, it, it's really hard to describe yourself. You're aware of that, right? Very few of us actually see ourselves as others see us. And so we wanted to be as sincere and thoughtful as we could. One of the comments that continued to rise to the top in our discussion, though, was that this is a generous congregation, that we value generosity. And when we went back and looked at statistics, it seemed like that was certainly uh, evidence of that. We give a significant portion of all of our income from every source away. We have mission partners who engaged in spreading the gospel around the world. We regularly and consistently give to help those needs and to help them accomplish the mission God has given to us. Them. We also have a benevolence ministry where we collect offerings over and above tithes and offerings and over and above budget income to to invest back into people meeting emergency needs, utility bills, food, clothes, and things like that. There are very time, very few times that there's been a need brought before this congregation that this congregation has not responded generously. And I can give you individual stories and family stories, but we're kind of looking at the whole picture here uh, of the family. We are a Southern Baptist congregation, which to us means that we cooperate with other Southern Baptist churches intentionally through our budget. We give away uh, a percentage of our budget to support the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board and uh, six seminaries that equip people for ministry. And, and so we have a, a lot of generosity on display. Um, while we've made a great start, I believe, in following Christ in the area of generosity, though I'm fully convinced that I need to grow in this area, and I'm fully convinced you need to grow in this area, I'm fully convinced every believer needs to continue to grow. We want to be careful that we don't become pharisaical. You ever sat around a room? Have you guys ever lost weight? You're not, you're not even going to respond to that, are you? Some of you 
you know, you lose weight and you sit there and say, hey, I feel, I feel pretty good. I lost weight. And then, you know, three months later, I found it all again. And so it's kind of like, ah, step forward, step back, or wrong perception of ourself. We want to make sure that we don't say, hey, we're a generous church. Hey, we are a generous church. And we become almost pharisaical. Thank you, Father, that we're not like those stingy churches that keep everything for themselves, but we are generous and we do it for our own selves, generating pride in our generosity or patting ourselves on the back or feeling like this is something that we can check off of our list. This is one of those virtues that we have. I want to tell you, it's not that. It's not that. Generosity is an increasing characteristic in the life of a believer. Giving of yourself and of your time and your attention, giving of the goods and the resources that God has entrusted to your care, all of this is a part of consistently following Christ. And you and I must continually guard against those things which set in to create calluses in our heart, to create blind spots in our life in order that we may continually grow. We just read a minute ago how Paul described the Macedonian churches. You know how he described them? Filled with the grace of God, pursuing God, begging for the opportunity to give, not only in spite of their poverty, but out of their poverty, overflowing in generosity for a specific offering. This was an offering that the churches in Acacia had started. Paul went to Macedonia and he said, hey, these churches, including Corinth and the church at Corinth in this region, they're collecting an offering because the Christians in Jerusalem are going through a time of famine there is great physical need there. They need food to eat. They need materials and resources. And these churches are collecting an offering. And the Macedonian churches said, well, we want to participate. We're begging for the privilege to participate. And I would imagine Paul looks out across the group and he says, but you don't have much. And he says that out of their poverty, they gave not to him, but they gave to the glory of God. They gave to meet the needs of this church. And God was their supply and their resource. And they excelled in this gift in this giving, in generosity. And he tells the churches in Acacia, he tells uh, Corinth, he says, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. What is this grace? This grace is selflessly contributing, in this case, to the needs of the saints. You'll see that as you look into the Word of God, as you grow in your walk with Him, as you're exposed not only to the Old Testament practices, but increasingly in the New Testament, that there is a continual emphasis on being open-handed and open-hearted, on recognizing that we're not owners, but that we are managers, we are stewards, that our source is God, and what He provides to us, we use for His glory this is a common theme, not only in Jesus' preaching and teaching, but also it is a common theme in Paul's instructions to the church and even Peter's instructions to the church. Paul here seems concerned that the zeal for the Corinthians to give, when they first started saying, look, we're going to take up an offering, we're going to set it aside, when you come back there, you can take it to Jerusalem. He's concerned now that their zeal has abated, it's gone down. Have you ever really been excited about something for a while and then kind of the newness wore off? And the challenge wore off. And he's like, listen, Titus is coming. Titus is the one who started this when he went to see you guys. And he shared the need. And you guys agreed and you prayed. Now Titus is coming back through. And he's going to collect the offering. And he's going to take it on. And Paul is very, I don't know, he's very Pauline. How about that? Paul's, Paul's just kind of kind of clear, sometimes very blunt. He says, I don't want you to be embarrassed. These Macedonian churches... They're giving with passion. 
They're giving with generosity. They're giving out of their love for God. And I'm concerned that you'll be caught by surprise. And I don't want you to be, I want you to know what to expect. I want you to be prepared. And he gives them some principles. He gives them some truths, some eternal truths that were important for them and they're important for us. And so I want us to kind of move down in chapter 9 just a little bit. Look at, starting in verse 6, looking at a few verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 6. Paul says, this is after he's encouraged them to give willingly. Paul says in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So if you don't sow much, if you don't plant much, you're not going to harvest much. And whoever sows bountifully a lot will also reap, will harvest bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, important word, in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then he quotes the Old Testament. As it is written, he has freely, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower. God is the supplier. Get that. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. There's a very practical application for this offering. Supplying the needs of the saints. But in addition to that is overflowing in thanksgiving. Many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service. When they see what you've done on their behalf. They will glorify God because of your submission. Flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. They will see you demonstrating your confession of the gospel, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Now, I want to just pull out a few things from this passage of Scripture that, frankly, we need to be reminded of. The first thing would be the first point on your outline if you're taking notes. And it is that God is our gracious supply. Kendra and I were talking in the office this week and we we're trying to figure out, all right, what is the best way to describe what we see here? What are the right words to use? And I, I think this is good. I think it's adequate. You might want to rephrase it, but here's the point. All that we have comes from God. Our dependence, our, our provision, the things that we need in every aspect of life, the things that we need for life, the things that we need for beyond life, the source of all that we have is our Creator, God. We see it in this text, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, all your needs provided for, sufficient, enough, in all things, at all times, God always gives us all that we need in order that we may abound in every good work. The quote that he has from the Old Testament, he has distributed freely. God gives freely. It is God, verse 10, who supplies the seed 
to the sower and bread for food. Everything that we have comes from God and it is an expression of the grace of God. The generosity of God. Is God generous? I want you to settle on that for a moment because here's what happens. We tend to think our competency, our hard work, our sufficiency, our self-sufficiency, or this person or that person. So we, we, we often don't get all the way to the ultimate source of all that we have, and that is our Creator God who loves us and gave Himself for us. The clearest, probably the first thought that comes to mind when we think about the generosity of God is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The generosity of God is demonstrated in God's giving of His Son. When you look at Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, Philippians 2 says that though He was equal with God, He thought not equality with God something that needed to be grasped, but He emptied Himself. Kenosis, taking on the form of a man. Hebrews chapter 2 says, as the children were of the flesh, so He took on flesh. He condescended. He came to earth. God coming to us as a demonstration of His generosity. He comes to us. In, in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul reminded them, we read, and he said, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, this is verse 9, He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. We're blessed with salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ that God freely gives. We're, gra- we're blessed in, our, in Christ with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1. Sometimes just go read it. If you get time this afternoon or take time this afternoon and read who you are and the graciousness of God to you displayed in the litany of verbs found in Ephesians chapter 1. But also in Deuteronomy 8. I want us to, you remember what's happening in Deuteronomy? This is the second giving of the law right before the children of Israel go into the promised land. And Moses is talking to them. He says, you're going to get to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to have nice houses. And you're going to have nice vineyards. And you're going to have this milk and this honey. And you're going to be blessed with livestock and animals. And when you are, you're going to forget God. When you are, the tendency, the the danger that we face is that you're going to think it's your accomplishment, not God's grace toward you. And in second, I mean, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, he says, Beware when things are going well, when life is pretty good. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. It is He who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers as it is this day. Even the ability to earn, even the ability to work and gain is a gift from God. So having been blessed much, are we generous? Having been given much, are we generous in our attitude, in our heart, in giving back? And if not, why not? And can I tell you that one of the or I don't know, one of the challenge that we have is selfishness. The challenge that we have is selfishness. Uh, Loretta made a pound cake that we were able to share with them this weekend. By the way, I highly recommend it. Very good pound cake. It was really good. 
And she came walking over to where Suzanne and I were, and there was a little over half of this pound cake left that had not been cut. And so I thanked her for the piece of pound cake that she brought to me. It was just one piece, so I mean, that was an accurate statement as far as it went. But it would have been pretty selfish of me to just claim it all for myself, and they were very gracious in giving it to me. And so she gave me permission, and I cut myself a piece of pound cake. And then a little bit later, Scott was cutting pound cake and asked if I wanted a piece of pound cake. And I said, yeah, absolutely, I would love a piece of pound cake. Then a little bit later, Suzanne comes over, and she says, would you like a piece of pound cake? <laughs> I said, I would love a piece of pound cake. But two's enough right now. Hey, all of that to say that Paul uses a phrase that seems crass, but he talks about people whose God is their belly. Do you understand the phrase? Their God is their belly. They worship their appetites. Their primary motivation is satisfying their hungers and their desires. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, when we come to Christ, our whole world turns upside down. And it's no longer about me. It's no longer about my hunger, my desires. It's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about that which pleases me or fulfills me or even makes me feel like I've made some sort of accomplishments. All of a sudden now, I'm living for God's glory. It's not about me. It's about the one who saved me. It's about the one who created me. It's about the one who called me to himself. It's about the one who forgave me of my sin. It's about the one that took me, to use the poetic words of the psalmist, out of the miry pit of my life and placed my feet upon the rock. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, for this reason, all these things, we no longer live for ourselves. I'm not the person that most needs satisfying. (laughs) We now live not for our own pleasure, we live to please God, the one who loves us and gave his life to us. And in pleasing God, we live as representatives of this God. We live as ambassadors for Christ. Isn't it great to know that we have a God who is generous to us and who is gracious to us? And yet, the greatest challenge that we have is the covetousness. Are you familiar with the word? The covetousness, the hunger, the desire for things. My things, your things, everybody's things. The hunger for things that reigns in our heart. Covetousness really speaks about the continual desire to want more, bigger, better, to want, to want what we do not yet have as opposed to contentment. Jesus was preaching. He was telling a terrible a parable, a terrible parable in Luke chapter 12. When Jesus said to them, he said, you take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness for one's life. We need to learn this. This is Luke twelve fifteen. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Just this morning we were talking about possessions. You know, in that the way, we, there are different types of campers, and one of them is a toy hauler. And I told Suzanne, we need a toy hauler, and then we need to go get some toys. <laughs> and and uh, I think it was Jim, somebody made the comment, oh, yeah, I think the rule is he who has the most toys when he dies wins. And that's a joke, and it is a, but I've got to tell you, while we think that's humorous and while that's funny to us, it is the mindset of a lot of people who don't know God, who have not understood the cost that Christ paid and the fact that our lives are no longer our own. Here's what he says. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
And he told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grains and my good. And I will say to myself, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's what I want you to understand about generosity. God supplies all of our needs, and God supplies in abundance, and he is sufficient and more than sufficient, and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly all above all that we can ask or imagine, and that's for his glory in the world as he works through us. We can shut down those channels when we focus on our own satisfaction, on our own supply, when we start laying up treasures for ourselves, rather than being rich toward God. There's another danger if we don't recognize that God is our gracious supply. And it's, who do you trust? Do you trust in your bank account? Do you trust in the resources that you've been able? Do you trust in the markets? Do you trust in your savings? Who are you placing your trust in? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is one of the texts that I was going to take us to in depth today, but we're going to keep it pretty, pretty simple. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. It's for the rich in this present age. This is Paul talking to Timothy, saying you've got people in your family who are the ha- in your church family who are the haves. They have money. Charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proudful. And listen to this phrase. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. What do we place our hope in? What are we placing our trust in? On God, who richly provides us. He's our supply. He is our gracious supply with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I will tell you that selfishness creeps up on you. Covetousness creeps up on you. Focusing upon yourself and trusting in the resources that you have rather than trusting in God creeps up on you. It's important that we are generous because our God is generous. But it is important that we give generously because we are laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. You remember that passage? In Matthew chapter 6, rather than making an investment here for temporal things, we are to make investments in eternity. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus is teaching This is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light in you is darkness. And how great is the darkness? How easily we can be deceived and deceive ourselves. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted 
to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can I just tell you that it's not a sin to have money. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. Money makes an excellent servant. It makes a horrible master, a horrible God. And so we need to have the right perspective. How do we invest the resources that God has given to us? Well, we invest them in things that matter for eternity. The things that matter for eternity. In this text, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, they're taking an offering to meet real legitimate needs. People hungry. People needing food. People needing housing. And they're doing this as a demonstration of their love for God and for God's glory. And because there are real needs that need to be met. And there is always the emphasis in the New Testament that the saints meet the needs of the saints according to the provision of God. Folks, that's a non-negotiable for us. I want you to understand that. That's what we do. It's how we live our lives. We look around and as God makes us aware of needs, we share. It's the Acts chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 3 and then Acts chapter 4 particularly principle where they, they buy and they sell and they give and they serve one another to make sure that everyone's legitimate needs are met. Not closed up, not withholding, but open-handed, administered with wisdom for the goal of legitimate needs being met, being met so that God is glorified. Appropriate generosity always meets real needs. Verse 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. It's meeting legitimate needs. But can I tell you something? There are people, both in the church and out of the church, who will strive to play on the kindness and the generosity of people, to take advantage of that kindness and generosity for their own benefit. And they are acting... People do act out of covetousness, out of a desire to advance, out of a desire to satisfy their own needs by manipulating systems. Paul talks about this when he wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica. The second Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says to them, you got some people who are on your benevolence rolls. You got some people who are lined up to get food. But the only reason, and I'm adding into this, I'm, I'm, this is my translation interpre- ter- interpretation. The only reason that they're on your rolls is because they won't work. And he makes a statement there, and he says, if a man is not willing to work, he, he should not eat. We don't feed people who can and should be feeding themselves and providing for others. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There's this whole thing called Toxic charity. Charity that harms and that hurts rather than helps. And so I'm not saying that we blindly give. I'm saying that we give with wisdom, with the goal of strengthening people, with the goal of encouraging people, lifting people up, and connecting people with thanksgiving to God and the glory of the gospel. It takes time and energy and effort to do this. But it becomes a means of presenting the goodness and the kindness of God. Generosity meets real needs. It meets legitimate needs. And generosity prompts thanksgiving to God. It is overflowing, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, with many thanksgivings to God. I don't know how many of you have been the recipients of the gift of the saints. I don't know how many of you have prayed for a need to be met. 
Suzanne and I were talking to a friend of ours not too long ago, Kristen Gray, in uh, Powdersville, and she had become aware of some excess food that had become available, and I won't go into all the details. But there were fresh vegetables, crates of them packed, stored in a friend's garage, and they were supposed to distribute them somehow, somewhere. And so they were thinking and praying, and meanwhile at Miracle Hill, where they provide food for families and others, and uh, at Miracle Hill, they were praying, and they were saying, Lord, we need fresh vegetables. We don't have them. We're out for this distribution cycle for this period. We don't have anything to do. Meanwhile, Kristen and them in Powdersville said, hey, I know what we can do. Just the Lord put it on their mind. Let's take this to Miracle Hill. They packed all this stuff up. The guy thought they were coming and bringing in a few baskets of vegetables. They came up with a cargo van full of vegetables. And the guy was there with some of the overcomer guys or some of the others who were helping. And he said, I want you guys to know something. We were just in this room, just over here, praying that God will provide us with fresh vegetables. And you called. And you drove up and we were expecting a minivan with a box in the back. And we got a cargo van. It takes all of us guys to unload. He said, I want to thank you for being an answer to prayer. And they thanked God, and they glorified God. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm talking about? Generosity, appropriate generosity, godly generosity, spirit-led generosity, lets you be the vessel by which God answers prayer in the heart's and life. I can think of nothing better. I can tell you story after story after story how God has blessed my wife and my family and my kids as we sought His provision and God's people generously responded. As churches sought His provision and God's people generously responded. We get to make investments in eternity by meeting real need. Generosity glorifies God. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. By their approval of this service, when they receive this offering, they'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession. And generosity is evidence of the confession of the gospel in Christ. We see God's graciousness to us. We display that to others. So important, I think, that we recognize that when we are appropriately and wisely generous, we are making investments in eternity for the glory of God. And here's something that you need to know. You need to trust the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. And you need to trust God with the outcome. Here's a, here's a trap that churches get into. I'll be kind to you. I will be generous to you. And here's what I expect from you in return. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is generosity with a string, generosity with an expectation. And yet we are called so many times to be generous and open-handed, knowing that that which we're being generous with is what God has provided to us, and we trust God to bring about the return. We don't. We don't. We trust God to move and to work into their life and, and for God to use this for His glory Here's what I am learning and continue to learn is I can be responsible for what I do. I can be responsible for what you do. Why would you give to that person? They're just going to... Honestly, what they do with that gift 
is between them and God. I can speak truth to them and I can share scripture with them and I can give them counsel and I can hope God uses this in that way in their life and I can expect God to use this that way. But if they're not under my authority, if they're not in my house or they're not under my authority that God's placed in me, they are going to be accountable for God. Do you know what I'm going to be accountable to God for? For the extent to which I'm willing to be obedient and trust God with the outcome. Does that make sense? So it's very important that we walk, that we have an attitude of generosity. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. Mature disciples give. And I want to close with this. The third point on your outline, for those of you who are taking notes, is that we do all things cheerfully. We give cheerfully for God's glory. Not for ours. Not so that we can get our return on our investment here. We get our return on our investment in heaven where we've laid up treasures for ourselves. Amen? A good thing. A great thing. We look forward to that day. So what do we do here? What is the return that we expect? The return that we expect is that people will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So we can be cheerfully generous. We can be joyously generous because, because we have been the recipient of God's gracious generosity. I want to read to you a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. I won't get into who she is, look her up. But just listen to what she says. Just listen. Love is the way to maturity. Selfishness stunts growth and keeps us in a spiritual playpen. The world is full of emotional babies crawling over each other, screaming, Mine! This is what I want. This I shall have. And never mind what it does to anybody else. What a relief. What peace when one who has reached spiritual adulthood, who by love has grown out of himself, comes along. This is one who freely gives up his own aims and ambitions, his safety and his cherished plans. He gives up his possessions, his feelings, anything at all that will help and says, my life for yours. This one comes as a rescuer. To give myself up is the last thing I think of doing. It looks like weakness, but in God's eyes, it is power. The point of this is that the more we hold and the more that we try to control demonstrates the less that we place our trust in God, the less that we give ourselves away to Him and to others as He has given Himself to us. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Just a... a a word about stewardship. If God is God, and He is, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. If God is supreme and He holds all things that, are, that is, as a steward, He has entrusted you abilities and gifts, the abilities to earn an income. He has entrusted you skills. He has entrusted to you and given you spiritual gifts that are to be used for the building up of the saints, for the glorifying of His name through His body, the church. He owns it all. And He desires for you to use it, for you to manage it, to steward it for His glory, for His glory, for His glory alone. And so, as Christians, I started to just stand up here and tell story after story after story of our generosity in different, your generosity in different circumstances and situations. I just don't want us to pat us on the back because I can tell you what, 
we can be generous people and still not be generous to the extent that God would have us to give ourselves away. Amen? And so we need to be willing at all times for the glory of God, for the goodness of others, to give ourselves away because He has given Himself to us. Father, thank You for the generosity that You give us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You give us forgiveness. You give us grace. You give us mercy. You give us kindness, loving kindness that is better than life. You're sufficient for our needs in every circumstance, in every situation. You allow us to be stewards, and you entrust resources, material resources to us, whether it be goods or possessions, whether it be finances, money, whether it be knowledge or skill. You entrust these to us, and you desire that we entrust them back to you, that they are stewarded for your glory, that they are stewarded for the glory of your name, for the good of others, so that the goodness of God demonstrates to others the reality and the love of God for those who don't know Him. There are a lot of people out there who don't know you. And I pray that you will give us the passion to join you in your work of making your name known. And I pray that you will fuel our generosity as we let go of possessions. The value of our life is not in the possessions that we accumulate, but we make the priority the spreading of the gospel and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.